Why did the sperm cross the road? Hmm. Why? Because I wore the wrong socks oh. today. <laughs> I told you it was I ridiculous. Like you were like, you were like hey, I'm not a dude, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> I need to. Oh, fantastic. That oh, was a good one. God. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> How you doing, Lainey? I am full of anxiety. How are oh, you? Well, tremendous amounts at all times. Bursting at the seams, mm. if you will. This, yes, no, yeah. Currently, right now, this is what I would call bursting. Um, I am, I am at pre-burst mode. Like, you know, like, the, the buttons, the cloth that are holding the buttons together are barely hanging on. They are stretching for dear life. I like life. how you went to clothing. But, I thought of, like, the, a puff mushroom or, like, those little, right before, yeah. Oh, yeah, when they eventually, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 precisely, yep. precisely, exquisite. Yeah, I was just, yeah, well, you know me in ripping my shirts, you know. Uh, I'm, so, s- I'm so anxious. <laughs> Getting anxious. <I'm> just anxious. <laughs> just Honestly, I've, I've started to do it myself, except I do it towards my pants. Well, right? I do it to my pants. Like my, oh, my okay. Pants. Yeah. yeah. I, I immediately, for some reason, go to like my boob area and just like <sighs> like grab my <sighs> boobs and I'm just like, I'm anxious. <laughs> I'm anxious. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, school started this uh, this week, and it's good. Everything's good. I am just one of those people that um, is unfortunately like logged down with a lot of self doubt, and I feel like an imposter, and just that I'm I've made every possible mistake by going back to school, which is not true, and this is all of my anxiety lying to me, and I know that for a fact, but it's still, you know getting home from work and the car parks and I go to turn the key off and then immediately start crying for no reason whatsoever and then, you know, collect myself and go inside. That's 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 how I know. That's how I know the anxiety is uh, getting up there. But it's good and it's healthy, right? Tell me it's, it's healthy. It's healthy, right? Tell me it's, it's healthy. It's, um, <laughs> I can think of a lot of visuals, like, like a car engine, you know, mm. and, um, you know, the little, you know, Anything that just moves at a constant speed for a very long period of time. Motivated and a good hard worker, but eventually the whole thing just blows up. So take some time. Find some time for yourself. I literally just started. Hey. hey. (laughs) But it's good. I got my calendar in front of me. I've got all of my due dates for everything written out. I've got sticky notes. This is how I've learned to combat the ADHD and my just overall brain function because I know how terrible I was at school the first time around. And so I'm trying very, very hard to not make any of the mistakes that I previously have made. So this is going... I think that's why I'm so anxious is because I I actually am trying my hardest this time and that's scarier than just kind of floating because if I'm trying my hardest and fail, well, then that is devastating. Well, if you just... But if I'm just kind of skating by and everything, then it's fine because I know I I could do better. I'm just not, but yeah. Well, a couple couple of things here. This is my last stand. A couple of things. This is my last stand. The the dramatics. I just imagined you at the top of a mountain, just and just this fiery like like eruption behind you, and books, just books by your side. 
Oh, God. I feel like there are medical students that don't have this much anxiety going, like, through everything. So, two things. One, you have you mm. have your toolbox full of full of great skills and, like, awesome, awesome ways of just being you because you are awesome. Second thing, if you worry now before you've even failed, you're just worrying twice. And that's just double oh, I the know. work. You know what uh, statements like that do, though? What? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Yeah, I know. I saw it in your eyes just now. <laughs> All of the rationale is out so the window. So what we're going to do. Because I'm what telling we're gonna myself the rationale. That. We're going to take I'm that. Telling we're going to We're going to put it in this neat little box, right? Okay, this is a good box. So this is a red box. We like this box. This is like one of those post office boxes that you spend good money on. Oh, that is a nice box. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna wow. we're gonna smash all that right in there, and uh, we're just gonna <laughs> light it on fire. <laughs> and then I put that box another inside box. of another it's box, a- and I smash it with a hammer. And mail that box to myself. <laughs> yes. Oh. And when it arrives. <laughs> oh God. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, so, but it's, I know I just kind of freaked out there for oh, a God, second, no, no. but that's just me being honest, it's a safe um, space. and I feel like especially if I, yes, putting our voices and emotions out into the world is definitely a safe space. Yeah, <laughs> just, f- it is, because, fuck just it. flap your wings. The whole world is my safe space. <laughs> well, it's, it's whatever, mm. my fucking reality is but, what um, it is. It, is, it is what I choose it to be. Tis, tis, yes. tis yep. mine. Yes. Uh, perception is reality, for sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, so scientifically proven, <laughs> like Dove soap. <laughs> Who needs evidence? <laughs> I sure <Thanks>. don't. Yeah. <laughs> really? Well, no. I'm wearing my reptilians shirt right now. It just says extinction was a lie. <laughs> I'm wearing one that. <laughs> Who needs evidence? I'm wearing one that says no evidence required. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I saw. <laughs> but yeah generally things are good that's good though so i'm happy to see you thrive yeah it's good i i have missed this as much as that sounded like complaining earlier it's just part of the process (laughs) and i'm very happy to be back in school (laughs) i go through stages part it's this is (laughs) breathe out (laughs) i can just see i can just see my cords like spiking up with anxiety (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i can't even take an ativan because i'm drinking so well you mean it's trading one for the other i'm not at ativan level yet though so we're good okay <laughs> okay yeah i've never really yeah i'm sure i've never not. really had something i could just quick grab like that there was one thing my doctor gave me one time but it like made me rash out and i was like i'll trade i'll have Ooh. the anxiety please so <laughs> i'm definitely yeah i i got lucky thankfully and that it has been super helpful I, I really don't use it very often thankfully anymore but it's it's good to even just knowing that i have like an ativan on hand is is helpful right. to be like okay well I, i'm not that panicked yet and then that will usually help me right. like even calm down further right. so that's nice it's like having insurance in a way it's like knowing that you have something there yeah. to use if it's if it's necessary I totally get that. <laughs> That's a much better analogy than the one I was thinking what of. Was your, what was your... I was like... <laughs> I thinking it was like a Batman signal, you know? Like, I can put it up if I need it. I can put my... I can flash my my Batman signal and take an Advan if I really I'm need it. I'm pretty certain. But if the regular police of Gotham can handle it, then it's okay. I don't I'm need to. I'm pretty certain your analogy was signal. far better than mine. <laughs> uh, 
I'm sorry. Yours, yours has Batman in it. I mean, it's at least it's at least a little better than mine. I'll take it. Michael Keaton's Batman. We all know. Oh, it's always Michael Keaton. <laughs> Those eyes. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Oh, right though. What a gift. Oh. What a gift. Oh. It just makes me uncomfortable. I well, you know, then he then he deserved he honestly deserved every. Oh penny. no, I that's know. exactly what he was supposed I, to. It's not he's not supposed to make yeah. he wasn't supposed to make you feel so good. <laughs> can I can I just be honest with you about something right now? Speaking of television, before we move on to something more serious, um, yes, please. I I was watching something on Amazon the other day. It was just the other the other day, as in last night. And, mm, yes. Technically, it yeah. is the other and day. And an ad came on for the boys, and it was literally the scene yes. with Timothy. Like, I don't know why they would choose that. <gasps> no! I didn't, I didn't actually finish watching it, because I was like, they just, they just couldn't. <laughs> That's just not something that they would do. But it started out with, like, Homelander walking over and just putting his hand, and then he's like, Timothy. And I remember, I couldn't, I was moving shit around in my room. I couldn't find my fucking remote. And I was like, no, no, no. And I just actively kept saying, no, 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 no. The entire time I was like, as I'm like shuffling things around me, trying to find this remote. As, oh God, that's amazing. As soon <laughs> no, as he no, set the plate down, even before he like took the cover off, I looked at Nick and I was like, it's <laughs> And I have a little like stuffed red octopus that sits under it's a it's a finger puppet I know. actually yeah. and it, but it's like yeah and so it sits right under my my tv and on my mantle and that i got years and years ago and as i'm just watching that i couldn't like help but keep looking at my own little timothy so now i, I his name is timothy <laughs> it has never had a name before but now it's it's timothy <laughs> oh sweet little guy They're the same color Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah roughly. <laughs> roughly. Yeah. Enough, enough, enough. Roughly, roughly. <laughs> All right, guys. So. So, yeah. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and. So, yeah. We're going we're gonna to take it down a couple octaves. And um, we're going to continue. We've been having some fun yeah. here. We're not going to be having any more fun here. <laughs> and just as a nice, fun uh, little addition to how much of a fuck up I um, I am. This is the third time that we're f- that we're recording um, <laughs> this episode, and I give so little fuck yeah. about how this. Like, I've left yeah, my doors yeah, open, yeah, yeah. and my puppies are walking in, and like there's there's going to be background noise apart from a fan, and I don't even care because I'm at least I'm recording out of the right microphone. Let me just say that. Yep, yep. We have been round the ringer with this story, and what a fucking story to have to listen to and read three times yeah i literally said Um, i literally said to laney today i was like all right well you ready and i told her what we had what we were doing and she it was almost like she blacked it out man she was just like she was just like oh i thought i thought thought we were were moving on to our next yeah yeah and i was like no the audio is just shit and she's like well all right i've had a break i can do this again i can do this it's yeah, heavy. yeah, because we were going to record, like, the last time we recorded this episode, we were going to do it the very next day, and at that point, I was just like, dude, I, I really just post the episode, because I can't, I cannot yeah. sit through it and again. And I totally got that, and, and I sat the... down, and I sat down, and I um very quickly learned that I had been recording out of my laptop microphone, and it just sounded like, it sounded like I was announcing horse races, let's be honest. 
Was <laughs> was, was straight away from the moving door. Yeah, let's take a moment here and acknowledge the clip. Fantastic. So that's it. You haven't. You don't know, Lainey, because you can't hear it. But I'm inserting a clip of how terrible it sounds, and she's gonna have to hear it at the same time you all do. Because I saved it. I saved it. Nice. All right, but yeah. Welcome to Contagious Curiosity. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love it. I love it. It is what it is. They, they obviously know the name. <laughs> I would hope so. But yeah, this is Contagious Curiosity uh, with Kat and Lainey. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm Lainey. Well, I'm all, I'm, I, 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 I would say that I'm a cat. <laughs> I, I will show you are. I will show you are. Oh, my God. So before we get into it again, my my friend, who we went to college together, and he also happens to live in New Jersey. Well, he grew up in New Jersey. Um uh, he just found my Laney Road sign that my dad helped me steal from forever ago, like back in like either middle school or the very beginning of high school. And I have I had that in all of my apartments in college, and for some reason I stored it with him when I was going somewhere and never ended up getting it back, amongst other things. And he just sent me a picture the other day, and he has my Laney Road sign. I'm so freaking stoked. I'm going to post it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a road sign. It's nothing too fantastic, but I'm still going to post it to Instagram. It's not excited. as fantastic. And he sent me... As the Katie's Crotch Road, so it's not... No, it's never... Nothing is ever as fantastic as the Katie's Crotch Road. This is the best road in Maine. It's the best road in the state. It's a pretty road, too. At least it's not trash. Anyways, you were saying, uh, what else? Mm -hmm. Did he have something else? Oh, he sent me a... Like, it's a five-minute documentary. The very first documentary I ever made uh, my freshman year of college called Street Poetry. And it's about these two men that were uh, homeless in Burlington. It's hard... Mm, it's very complicated to say homeless, <laughs> but with their situation. So it's it's very, I, I'm not even going to get into it. But the one one of them spoke poetry and the other one played guitar. And they just, they sat and busked on, on Church Street for a while. And they were always there. I saw them all the time. And so I ended up recording a couple of poems. It was just like took a lot of B That's footage cool. of around the city and things. It was really, I mean, it wasn't good. The poetry was great. I mean, but like the sound the audience, was all off, let, but the it looked judge. pretty. I think we should put it. I think we should put it on our website. Yeah, that's gonna be that's Maybe. gonna be the first video, first and Maybe. only video. Okay. I mean, it's like an eighteen-year-old Laney not knowing anything. First video I had ever created because I wanted to be a photojournalist, not like film documentary. But there if was you put up that I just got put in all the film classes. Oh god! If you put up that video. I will put up the Polaroids I took in a dingy collapsing basement of me in like a floral top with like really spiked up. I kind of looked like the lead singer of Cure I kind of, at this yes. point. And I was in like this really uncomfortably dingy basement just like posing for Polaroids. And I was... That's amazing. Not very good at the look. In the soul. The, the, the scene kid was in the soul. The, 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 the emo goth kid was there. But on the surface it... um. It was, it was, it wasn't specific to anything, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think that is what made it way better, though, because of the unique pushiness of it all. And now I just put a sack on my body and I'm like, this'll do. <laughs> this is nice. Whatever. You got compliments out the wazoo when we went to see the Decemberists. Yeah, it's the booty. It's, it's, it is the, it's yeah. wobbly. It's, it's thick. It's a, it's thick. 
But it's not like one of those like disproportionate wobble. Like it like it moves in the right ways when you walk. It's not like lumpy if that makes sense do you know what i'm trying to say you've seen those butts where like when people walk and it's just like there's there's something happening well i'm all you know know what i can attribute mine to you know what i can attribute mine to clenching okay constant Mm, there you go stressed and clenching my ass that's there's no movement but there you go the largest non-moving ass in the world (laughs) it doesn't go anywhere (laughs) oh so Oh, uh, well, what are you drinking? I was just going to ask what you were drinking. So, oh, I was. That was good. That was good. So, um, I'm actually just keeping it chill with uh, some ice water and a shot of Jack. There you go. Keep her wits about you. One shot of Jack, which I had already taken. Nice. So nice. And you? I am going in the opposite direction. Because, once again, third time that we're hearing this story. I mean, That's I've heard this I story did the before. Shot of so. Jack. That's why I did the shot of Jack. Oh, you got a whole... Well, I just... Uh, I've been sitting on it. You can hear it. You can hear the jingle. You can hear the... Oh, I... Can you hear that? That is a half gallon of vodka in my hands. And I have a goblet in the other hand that is filled halfway with vodka and halfway with Coca-Cola because I am a disturbing individual. Well. And I could not think of anything else that would make sense with this episode. So I chose Coca-Cola and I will be going to hell for it. And you all probably will be judging me for it by the time we get to that part of the story but i don't care i have heard this story too many times already you have an ass- i am ass- getting ass- drunk memory to it i don't have to i asked her what she was drinking and she's do like well, anything I'm coke. yep i got a bottle of coke and a half gallon of vodka i'm not drinking the half gallon plus half of it's already gone anyway i'm just saying it's on hand yeah. so i can just keep i am refilling just as you i am go. just grateful it's not a glass bottle of coke Mm, small mm. successes couldn't find one small success the only reason why it would have been it would have been a glass bottle of coke but you know walmart doesn't really carry those oh y'all went to the old walmart did you yeah i had to get school supplies yeah that makes sense nobody just goes to staples for school supplies anymore way too expensive actually to be honest with you not really it's about the same cost you just get less of a selection. But what they do have is... Yeah, that's probably... What it. they do have is, is usually, you know... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm either... I'm do you remember when we there. took that an entire day to find a printer? When we drove all across Maine to finally find well, a printer and one one PS4 controller? Well... It was at the very beginning of the pandemic. It was a big... And there was nothing! Yeah anywhere because everybody was home so everybody had to do the printing from home and everybody was home so everybody wanted to be playing playstation so there was just no printers and no i remember the, the oh, controller debacle i actually have that controller and it's gone to shit it's nice to give it an age now now i know it's two years old it 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 like it's one of those controllers that just veers when it's not told to do so i'll just be sitting there and it just wanders me off into like enemy fire all the time do you want to hear a real first world problem that I'm about 
that I've got going on in my life right Hold now. Hold on, let me put on let me put on my khakis and you know my tall crew socks and my my uh, New Balance. All right, I'm ready. There you go. Are you ready? I just bought a PlayStation controller like a month ago because mine died. I brought a brand new one. It's you know it's expensive. They're expensive. They're like fifty bucks, and now it's useless because I got a PlayStation Five. So I just wasted money on that controller, and I haven't even gotten. You didn't waste money. money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, oh, such terrible problems. Give it to me. You can give it to me. Yeah, that's very true. That's perfect. That's actually very perfect because it's brand new. Because my my PS4 controller ended up doing the same thing that you're complaining about. It was just like going off in direction. So yeah, you can have a brand new white one because I got. I'll give you my PS5. I'll give you tree fitty. I'll give you tree fitty. (laughs) You better. <laughs> you better. I sent you $350. <laughs> oh, shit. That'd be nuts. I, I mean, make sure you piss on it before you send it. Yep. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Just dunk it in the toilet a few times. No, 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 no. No shared piss. Your piss. Okay. 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 <laughs> I can, I'll, I'll do that, but only for you. You know. I think we're stalling. Yeah. Once again. So one of the first... One of the first times we tried to record this, I remember, I remember getting to a point where I was like, "All right, I think we're just trying to avoid the topic, and I think it's about time to yeah. dive into the topic." And it's a relatively longer story, and it's a sad story, but, and I'll give my disclaimers on it. And to be honest with you, this is kind of a trigger warning for child abuse, sexual assault, um, PT, anybody with tremendous amounts of PTSD from abuse. Just keep those factors in mind. Um, but it is a story that has been told uh, quite a few times. There's a few books and um, documentaries about this. Uh, people who were involved are still alive and in the public today. Um, it's just kind of important to, to know all those details. Um, but Lainey, Lainey and I, you know, occasionally like to keep things lighthearted. So uh, that's just going to stay the same. So. Yeah, we deal with all life trauma, It would, however it comes to us, with humor. It's just what we do. It's so, if you, like, when you hear us making jokes about things that are dark or laughing at things, that is how we deal and, like, cope with the fact that this world and life is shitty sometimes. Yeah. And there are terrible people in it. And you can either be run down by it or be stoic about it or you can laugh. And we are in the latter category, so... I hope you can laugh along with yes. us. And so, needless to say, we're going into a story. Uh, a story about um, a young 16-year-old girl named Sylvia Likens. And what it was. What, yeah. I, I'm sorry. You, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> you said, needless to say, here's what the story is. Even though we haven't <laughs> told anybody what the story is at all yet. And you're like, needless to it's, say, here, here's the whole story. <laughs> Oh, my heart. I'm sorry. I just, I normally would have just let it go, but it it tickled me. It tickled me pink. I love that, but not today. (laughs) So, so it's about, it's about uh, a teenage girl named Sylvia Likens and what happened to her in a three month span of her life at the end of her life um, when she was in the care of Gertrude Banaszewski and the Banaszewski children. Um, So. I know Kat just said it, but um, I, like I said before, I've heard about this story multiple times and read about it and things, but 
it never really sunk in that everything, everything that happened to this poor girl happened in only three months. That is no time. That's no time. That's why it's so there are, fucking terrifying. There are multiple points uh, during what I uh, what I've prepared for you guys where I acknowledge the time. I'm very specific about writing the dates and like how recent it was to the next date and I will remind you of previous dates just to make it sink in that some of the events that we talk about happened like some of the worst things happened over like a four day period so there's a lot of detail there's a lot of detail to it and it's devastating but at the same time it's important to kind of bring awareness it's kind of important to bring awareness towards situations like this because even though what we're about to talk about happened in the 60s it's it's important to to kind of have the overall it's important to remember the whole idea of if you see something say something and that's kind of what the moral Mm -hmm. of this story is in my opinion um and you know regardless of the severity of what happened here things like abuse amongst the family does happen so very frequently and so many people don't know necessarily who to reach out to or who to talk to and so it's important to have to have your resources and to, and to have, um, you know, your connection with, with feeling safe and knowing that you at least have somebody to talk to or that you have a way of getting out of a bad situation. And if you don't know how, um, Lainey and I are going to include in the description, um, you know, hotlines. And I think it's just important to kind of spread that information along and we're going to share Absolutely. We're going to share it uh, more on our on our social media. So just yeah. if, be alert. If you're listening right now, too, the number is 800-799-7233. That is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. I know if you are listening to this podcast, you already have access to the internet. So you could probably find that information yourself. But it is always worth repeating over and over again. And nobody will judge you. There are such incredible... Uh, resources in place to help everyone and anyone who is experiencing anything like domestic assault or violence. Right. Please, please reach out. So Gertrude Van Fossen was born in 1929, the third of six children. Little is known about her childhood, except that she shared an extremely close bond with her father, but had a frigid relationship with her mother. A further wedge was driven between Gertrude and her mother when her father died in 1940, when the 11-year-old Gertrude watched her father die of a sudden heart attack. Five years later, Gertrude dropped out of school at the age of 16 to marry 18-year-old Deputy John Banaszewski, by whom she had four children. John had a volatile temper, often beating his wife for annoying him. The two stayed together for 10 years before eventually divorcing, with the judge granting Gertrude sole custody of their children. Within a year of the divorce, Gertrude met and married a man named Edward Guthrie, who quickly divorced her after only three months when he grew tired of having her children around. That's awful. Can you imagine? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, all of that comes to mind is that I, I can't imagine what, like, the courting process was. Did they just meet randomly and then he put a ring on it before meeting her children? Like, how do you... Right, and this was... How do you marry well, somebody that fast? Well, this was the 50s. Yeah, I know. What do you mean, how did you marry somebody that fast? You literally... Like, and not only not only that, but a woman, a, woman, a woman with that many children in the 50s with no reputable husband or, you know, a divorcee, 
you were lucky to have another man propose to you and to assume responsibility over your children. And men at this time did not feel like even their own children they had to care for as much. Like there was a, a bit more of like a Oh, a I was social more crack. putting like the, the question on the man specifically. Like if he already grew tired of her children in three months that he got a divorce that like did he even meet them before they got married like i i don't know it's just crazy to me like oh i see what you're saying clearly don't like children that much then how do you get married to somebody with that many children and then are like nah nah i'm good pussy i don't know Yeah. yeah yeah that's how this was young gertrude pussy apparently Aww. It's the cobweb. The cobwebs were still wet, if you know what I'm saying. I don't enjoy you. Right. <laughs> I don't like you. I don't enjoy Thanks, you. Thanks, I fucking hate all of it. Fuck your couch! Fuck your couch! <laughs> uh, anyways. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, regardless, after the three months when he uh, got rid of her, Gertrude and John, her first husband, reconciled and remarried. The couple stayed together for a further seven years and had two more children before finally divorcing permanently in 1963. Around this time, the then 37-year-old Gertrude began an, began an affair and moved in with a 23-year-old named Dennis Lee Wright, who was reported to have further abused her. She became pregnant by him twice, suffering one miscarriage and giving birth to one child. This child, Dennis Jr., would be Gertrude's last child. In all, she had seven children and suffered through six miscarriages. Also, 37, so I keep this in mind. I myself am 34, so three years from now, I'm at, I, I, I'll, I don't even have children. You know, goodness gracious, some people, y- uh, yeah, y'all, yeah, y'all, yeah. y'all, I don't know how y'all's do it. I just don't. I don't know either. And there are some really incredible, successful, like, teenage parents. There's oh, a, most There's definitely. a girl I went to high school with, well, I went to school with her all throughout school, and uh, she ended up having... Um, a baby while we were in high school really early phenomenal mother i just unbelievable standards that she has set and i'm just so proud of her and the life she's been able to give to her kids it's nuts it's nuts i don't know how because i am 28 and i am terrified i i just i know i would be a bad parent right now i don't think you do i don't think still. you'd be a bad parent i yeah. think that's being a little I, if it happened it would you be are fine, literally i think i could be in a better place you are literally 100%. a nanny and going to school for child care you would you are an incredible yes you would be an incredible you're like i can logistics be aside. with children i can help children <laughs> having a child in my that's own fair. home <laughs> is a completely different thing i live in an apartment i'm imagining like you opening the door and there's just a child sitting there <laughs> Wait, Wait just, and you just shut the door. Hi. And you just shut the door slowly. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. I'm oh. So- <laughs> today, today is a bad day. So- sorry. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh. Shortly after Dennis Jr.'s birth in 1964, Dennis Wright Sr. abandoned the family and disappeared. Gertrude was left essentially destitute. As Wright had been supporting her financially, she now was forced to support herself and the seven children on occasional child support payments from the unreliable John Banaszewski, and by performing odd jobs around town such as babysitting and housekeeping services. 
Financial problems were quickly exacerbated when Gertrude discovered that her 17-year-old daughter, Paula, was three months pregnant after maintaining an affair with a middle-aged married man. Though this would be heavily disputed in public until the literal last possible minute. When I say that, it's ridiculous how last minute <laughs> they refuse to accept it. It's foolish. Foolishness, I tell you. Damn. Bobbycock. <laughs> pa, pish pa. <laughs> Around this time, Gertrude's health declined considerably. She was chronically ill with a number of unidentified illnesses, ceased practicing proper hygiene, and barely ate. Eventually, these factors began to affect her outward appearance, resulting in a receded hairline, sunken eyes, and an overall skeletal appearance. Gertrude began to present herself as Mrs. Wright, claiming that she had in fact married Dennis before he abandoned her, which allowed her to keep up her veneer of respectability, as they say. This is the 60s still. Y'all should look up. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very true. The 60s, yeah, you needed. Where's your husband? You gotta have a ring on Where's that Where's your husband? Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to your husband. Well, I... I mean, what is it? There's, I mean, back a few episodes ago when we were doing our weird laws, there's still weird, like, laws Fucked. for women that can't do certain things unless they have their husband's permission that are still, like, alive today, which is crazy. But, um, I was gonna say something, and I completely lost my train of thought, Well, so. we were talking... Okay. All right. Well... <laughs> I, I remember where I remember okay. where you were at though. The last thing I talked about was how her veneer of respectability, and that she was calling herself Mrs. Wright. Yep. Nothing triggers the thought there. It was before that. Mm, mm. Before that. Oh, her. Oh, look up a picture. That was it. Yep. Yep. Y'all should look up a picture. That was exactly it. I mean, not very important what I'm I'm saying. I'm just saying you gotta you gotta see the I face. I remember that though. She's so creepy. She looks terrible. Well, she looks sick. Just she she looks yeah, sick. Oh, absolutely. There that is a lot of underlying illness, mental and physical, that it's not being treated. I mean, it's not what, what, being treated. I, I don't I always hate this phrasing, but I understand where it comes from. The hurt people hurt people. Yeah, so like yeah. I yeah I know. like I get it. It's true, but it's also like a, a little too overgeneralization, like generalizing because who isn't fucking hurt? And not everybody just hurts people in this manner of ways. So there are so many people who have been horrifically abused or have been through unbelievable trauma and go on to be decent people. And many of which give, give human back, beings. So, yes, um, yes, exactly. That do something to help other people who have been in that situation. Which is, this is, like, yes, we can uh, we can understand and we can feel sorry for Gertrude and the things that she was put through in a manner, but that does not excuse a single goddamn thing. Nor does like her mental illness at all. It's you are not at fault for your mental illness, but you are responsible and you have to take that responsibility. There was um, into your hands at all times. There was a, a method that they used to use at uh, the group homes I worked at. I'm trying to remember the, the anacronym. It was like, it wasn't like, it wasn't CBT. It was, am I, no, cause that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Maybe that's what it was short for, but I, I, the, the idea of it, regardless, is that, because I worked with a lot of um, 
more aggressive and physical clients that yep. and, and not only just physical towards you but like they would break things and they would destroy items in their own home and part of the part of it or hurt themselves to, yes exactly and so part of it to remain to remain hands off to kind of reduce the whole restraint and putting your hands on somebody yep. is yep. to like remind them that the choices that they are making are that they're responsible for like you're not actions have act, consequences. That, that actions have consequences exactly that okay you can do this but if you do this this is what's going to happen and so the decision from here on out is up to you and so yeah see that is a much better way of thinking at, about it because the company i worked for doing the same thing only with children was that the whole thing was allow them to destroy property allow them to do that even if they go after employees vehicles you must just allow them to do that without going into a restraint because it was better for um, insurance reasons that it, because if they are like in um, crisis enough to be hurting other like to be breaking things, then they are in crisis to hurt you. So it's better to allow them to damage property. And that's fine. As soon as they start to hurt themselves or other people, then you have to intervene with the holds and, you know, the physical contact and things like that. So it was better if they're not going, if they're not attacking people, then it's fine. Let them break everything because then we don't have to be responsible if you get hurt. Well, you know, and which is such a worse way that yeah. that make what you just said is like, it's the exact same outcome with such a different understanding of behavior, which is, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and what's interesting, though, is when it comes to children, because we've always been able to have this conversation with each other, like, because we've done the same type of work, but with two different age groups. And I feel like it's so important to be able yep. to recognize the differences between the two. And I feel like that we, 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 we did a lot of restraints throughout the years, but it's also different as an adult doing a restraint to an adult. Your situation probably was exacerbated by the yeah. idea that people were accidentally killing kids, like by restraining them, right? Like, cause you know, it's it, in the past, yeah. it's, it's happened more with children in like, in like a panicked restraint. And you like, there's a certain, of like, yeah, there's a certain kneeling restraint and that's the where one. you were supposed to like have a child like in front of you you are on your knees behind the child and you have your hands are gripped on their opposite wrists so their arms are pulled across their chest in a crisscross way and then you lift up kind of oh that's awful bit. and that was the restraint was so you have a child sitting on their on their butt usually legs out um and you're behind them on your knees so as an adult you are higher obviously than they are you've got their arms crossed and now you're holding on their diaphragm and you are you're pulling on their arms because they're resisting the no no like no child in that position is going to just go like oh okay I'm, i'll just call and the and the, like, and, the and the humans and probably panicking as well like they're they're yep. not, some people don't realize their strength especially when their heart rate is increased their adrenaline their, adrenaline, yep. their blood pressure everything yep sometimes you don't realize like i get i used to get that too like when I, I would realize that a situation was escalating it was almost like fucking spidey senses bro i was just like yeah 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 i yeah, was yeah. like i was like something's gonna happen and yep. i could feel it but that that's, that's that's exactly what happened the night i got my concussion was it was like 15 minutes of like everybody looking at each other and like everybody making eye contact and just being like 
something's something's brewing it was so weird people know like, everybody that worked there knew people know. and the kids like yeah and you all end up working off of each other which oh, it's like, nobody takes into account like the the human component when it comes to jobs like that too and because you're constantly expected to be in the right way of thinking but especially when you have a child in front of you who is devolving into crisis because they are re-experiencing trauma that they experienced in their past. And when you realize that you are trying to help this teenager or younger child that has been shown nothing but life of abuse, and you are the one there to try and help coach them through it and try and help get them into a more stable position. Like, it is very difficult to not get emotionally invested and for your heart rate not to go up and for like I often felt anger and it was never never towards the children but it was always towards the cause and which was usually abuse that they experienced in their early life which I just couldn't help it I would go home from work and I would be furious at the world for these kids having to go through that. I think like, oh, it's awful. I think for me, the moment I started to become a little bit more desensitized was after I had experienced life in the back of an ambulance. I think before then mm. I was, a, I was a little different. And then when I, when I, I decided to do that for a minute, once again, I'm a collector of trades over here. Like I've been on a constant path to figure out what the fuck I've meant, I'm meant to do. But at least along the way, I've tried a little bit of things. It's like, it's like, it's like a, a, a life full of appetizers is, is what my career is. My careers have been. I love it. But I, after that, something clicked. And I, I mean, it was for a lot of reasons. I, nothing ever really truly traumatized me on the ambulance. I was just, I feel like I was on the verge of being more prepared. And that's what exactly what it did to me is that it, it, it allowed me to see what, what's coming to acknowledge what's there and almost control, like have that sense of control. It's what I've always been striving for in my entire life is that sense of control. Mm. And so it's nice to be yep. able to do that with my emotions, but regardless, we've gone so off topic. That's what, that's we, what do. we do. And also hurt people, hurt people, but not, you know, let's not overgeneralize. And that, that was the whole point of our thing here. So. I think what I'm sorry I'm gonna keep going. I think the uh, my problem with that is that it gives it's almost like it gives permission. Fair enough to people who have been hurt. When you when you hear that you're like oh well I've been hurt so it's okay, it's okay to, to hurt somebody else because this is just a natural reaction which it is it is a natural reaction but rise above you know I mean <laughs> you know just go take after Melania Trump and uh, just be better. Just be best. Be best. Be best. And you to know, be honest with you, you'll, you'll to do be it. honest with you, I would more likely compare it to Bundy, where, <laughs> where porn made me do it. Oh, the God. justification was heavy with that. Such one. a fucker. Oh no, he was so lie. He was just a lying. Piece I know, of but shit. It, he didn't. That's why I admit to, to his Bundy. Still very. He's such a piece of shit. I know. He. It was fascinating though. What a fascinating person. Obviously, the world finds him fascinating. There's been too many fucking documentaries about the same goddamn thing. I'm over it already. I know. I feel the same way. All right. So we've gone over a little bit of Gertrude's past here, and I think that that's what Lainey and I were kind of summarizing, really, in just the general idea of it is that everybody comes from different backgrounds and everybody has a different life. 
and before the, the tragedy happens and before the tragedy like just truly sets in, we always like to have some kind of association to the idea that, okay, well, this person is a human being, right? Like they're not just a monster. This person was a human before they were a monster. And so it's important to kind of give that background a bit so that you understand what happens next. Um, kind of was a culmination of, of a life that was very sad for a woman. But regardless, no excuse. In July 1965, Paula Banaszewski, Gertrude's eldest daughter, met up with a friend of hers, Darlene McGuire, who then introduced her to two neighborhood girls, Sylvia Marie Likens, 16, and Sylvia's younger sister, Jenny, 15, who was required to walk with braces from having polio. Paula would then take both of the girls back with her to her home, where they drank soda and listened to records. The Likens girl's mother, Betty Likens, who was then 38 years old, was in county jail after having been arrested for shoplifting, which left Sylvia to care for her sister. Betty had abandoned Sylvia's father, Lester Likens, and effectively kidnapped their two daughters. When Gertrude's eldest, Paula, heard of the girl's circumstances, she offered to have Sylvia and Jenny spend the night. When Lester Likens arrived in town, having tracked down his wife, he ran into Darlene McGuire, a friend of Paula's. Darlene had recognized the description Lester gave of his daughters and directed him to the Banaszewski home. When Lester Likens arrived, Gertrude introduced herself as Mrs. Wright. The two struck up conversation, and over the course of which, the idea came up that Gertrude might take in Sylvia and Jenny as boarders. He had spoken with his wife at the county jail, and it is stated that they had reconciled and agreed to travel the United States Carnival Circuit as carnies while keeping their children in the safe care of Gertrude. I need to take a moment. I need to take a moment I here just... and, 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 and bring up the fact that they met at the county jail. Like, I mean, obviously, like, the situation must have happened in one way or another, but the idea that they met at the jail to discuss this. Not just that. That she ran away. She ran away. And he tracked her down. It's romantic. At the county I don't know what you're gym. talking about. It's she romantic. Away. She moved the fuck away from this guy. And he just eh, pops in after tracking him down after she tried to escape. Like, and kidnapping. <laughs> like, his children away. I just, freaking insane. It's insane. And it's then... A, it's a bit peculiar. Then, it's a bit peculiar. I will say. I will say. To be, like, showing up at the jail and then to be like, honey, baby girl, <laughs> let's, let's run away from all of this. You know, let's just get away and be carnies. <laughs> And travel and be carnies. And she's just like, oh yeah, yeah, let fuck our daughters. Let's do it. Let's be carnies. Just, it's insane. It, it blows me away. I found this woman who would just totally, you know, like take him in. She just met him the other day. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, it's this. It's a dream come true. It's a carnies dream come true. I mean, what is a carnies dream? Uh, I feel like be a carny. I feel I, I feel like it's a I feel like it's a it, fantastic right? fucking book title is what it is. <laughs> the carny's dream. A carny's dream. 
It's nothing but porn. I'm buying the website domain immediately. It's nothing but porn. <laughs> Dirty, disgusting, hot, sloppy, wet, fat porn. Is what it is. It's all freak show porn. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm into it. Nothing. Have you seen Nightmare Alley? Mm, yes, when I was... I, oh, you would... I, I did... I, no, it, ju- it came out recently. Yes, I did. I watched it with my ex, but I fell asleep in the middle. Oh, that's unfortunate. It was it's a not really for the not movie. for the sake of it being a good movie, as it much as it was, you know, after a sixteen-hour fucking work shift, and I worked overnights at that time. It took me it took me two shifts to watch it. Like I had to watch it in two separate nights because I often like I have to go to bed at ten o'clock. Yeah, it's, it's a th- time, you guys. I'm sorry, I'm that lame because I have a job. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah I end up like starting the movie at like nine o'clock and then have to pause and then start it again the yeah. next night but it's a long fucking movie but it is so good yeah. my person friend uh Sorry. my person friend has a has a rule about 8 p.m after 8 p.m no work needs to be done it is after 8 p.m yep no no i don't want any calls i'm not getting up to do anything extra like that's not dishes time that's not when you do the dishes i'm sorry did you did you nope. say that the washing machine went off and it needs to be switched to the dryer i'm sorry it's at what time is it that's a tomorrow what problem. time is it that's a tomorrow it's 8 15 it's that's a tomorrow problem that's exactly that's exactly it <clears throat> well i mean I, I guess i guess i get the concept but for me time just has no meaning <laughs> going from n- <laughs> nights to days to n- n- did you just neigh sarcastically at me <laughs> i may have you didn't though <laughs> that was pretty sarcastic it's a neigh <laughs> fuck you bro <laughs> i love you so much <laughs> i heard what you said <laughs> you heard it i know i know you felt it <laughs> oh Wow, okay. No one seems to have record of whether Gertrude or Lester suggested that she board the girls. Eventually, it has been stated that Lester agreed to leave the children in her care for $20 a week. Lester admitted that he did not inspect the home before leaving, and had he done so, he would have discovered that Gertrude's home had no stove or microwave, that there were only enough beds for half the people in the house, and the only things she kept in her pantry were bread and crackers. Most of the services in her home were caked with thick layers of dirt and only contained enough plates and eating utensils for three people. I've got a question for there you. There were I just there were um, seven children, one Gertrude and two girls. That's 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 math. That's seven plus three. That is nine people in a home. With three enough a- plates and eating utensils for three people. They're just eating shifts. Oh, frisbees. What are you talking about, bro? I'm the one that taught you how to eat out of a frisbee. <laughs> Do you think, if he did go inside, that he would have changed his mind? Oh, well, that... What do you well, think? Because I haven't asked you this question before. What uh, Do you think it actually would have changed anything? So, so based... If he went inside and saw... So, based on the information provided to me on the research that I have done, which is very minimal on Lester himself... Uh, in regards to the information available, I mean, because I did look up her parents. There's a little bit more in her mother, but m- because she had a record. But yeah, but exactly. the father, from what I so 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 surmising the information that I know here about this man, I know that he's abusive. 
uh, that he has caught because he has caused his family to run away and people just don't necessarily run away for un unrelated causes. Maybe nowadays our problems are a little bit more dramatized and sometimes not even, but whatever we're not talking about today. But back then in order for a woman to just kind of abandon and run like ye and have nothing, you kind of had to, she must've been on her period. She must've been on her period. She must've been on her period. <laughs> on her period. Bloody mess. And, Regardless, though, she she had to, like, take that risk. And at this period, in this, this day and age, with having nothing and, and nothing at all. And the woman literally had two teenage girls and got herself arrested for shoplifting. I'm not trying to condemn this woman for shoplifting when I probably know why she did it. And so, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to be... I'm, oh, we've been there ourselves. I'm trying to be, like, realistic of the situation with knowing what I know. And... No, I do not believe that Lester would be the type of man that would walk into a home and go, well, you know what? What she don't know won't hurt her. But I also can imagine that this man was very angry. He found somehow, he somehow found a teenage girl who then brought him to the house where his girls were staying. So, you know, he was canvassing the area. What a crazy random happenstance. And obviously, and I'm not trying to say anything negative about carnies, but it's not like the man was canvassing with a picture of his daughter and he's like, please, oh my God, I'm an accountant. Please, like, help me find my daughter. I mean, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I'm also imagining in the 60s, a man who is running from town to town canvassing people is probably on something and also being a carny about it and being a little suspect. He's being a little suspicious. <laughs> a little, you know, he's trying to be suspicious. I don't know. I, this is, once again, my imagination. I could be fucking completely wrong, and I and I might be, but, you know, based on what I know, I just don't trust the bastard, is what I'm saying. I don't know. He's what do you feel? He's just an honest man trying to make a good, hard day's work, you know, pay. Ugh! How dare you? How well, dare to be you honest with you, malign the noble job of a carney. I am, I am disgusted. It's you, man. Wow, 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 <laughs> wow. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> 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 we just ugh at the same time. Ugh. I'm disgusted at your lack of respect for the carnies. I mean, I feel like out of the both of us, I probably have a little bit more respect. You want to know why? I, 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 have, I have a carny story, but it is not to be shared on air. I was going to say, is it full of respect? <laughs> <laughs> Are you about to school me on respect? It's not disrespect. It's not disrespect. It's just not. For my mother to hear. <laughs> Or anyone really. It's not anybody's mother audience. to hear. I, I'm I'm excited to hear this. I actually want. To, I'm trying to. I'm trying to convince Lainey to, to. God, now I feel like the not saying it has made it into like this huge, bigger, no, terrible thing. No, because but you're not, just gonna have to think. Yeah, about not everybody it. needs you guys to are know. Just gonna have to use your own imagination because I am not telling. We're gonna you. call that. We're gonna we're gonna I'm call that you. a story from another episode where Lainey's gonna be like, "So I have this friend, right? That's what's gonna happen." <laughs> No, you guys are gonna, we're gonna start a Patreon, and you guys have to pay yeah. me at least $5,000 for the current, straight for the car into my bank account, and I will give you, 
I will show up to your home and tell you. I will whisper it in your ear the whole time. It'll be just for you and you alone. You'll get the whole Lainey experience. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? I swear to God. I bet you. Oh, my God. Somebody puts $5,000 in my account. Oh, I will do it. In a heartbeat. Yeah. And that's not even that much it's money. It's not that much money. I'm not it's, I know, I know. For a lot. I saw a man spend $10,000 today. It's not that much money. <laughs> Just on insurance, of all things. Oh, but no, I'm imagining how, how much of a good idea that is actually. Imagine, like, an author. Imagine being an author and getting paid, like, 10 grand to your, your, your biggest fan gets to hear the end of your book before anybody else Ooh. but you have to show up to their house meet them for tea and crumpets obviously and whisper the obviously. ending i that's a yep f- boom hire me to be and then me. write the hire ending me. differently and then actually write the <laughs> ending differently and then you're left going no i swear the real ending is blank for the rest of your life but nobody all right listen you. listen we're not trying to insult george rr R. martin here okay like we're not we're not <laughs> we're not trying to make a scene we're not trying to make a scene <laughs> I mean, you're the one that just... Uh, I didn't mean to call out call the somebody way above me, <laughs> socially, economically. Ta- Everything. Ta- economically oh, includes the tax bracket. See, I'm a fucking idiot, so... It's a lie. Anyways. You're a liar. The first week of Sylvia and Jenny's lives at the Banaszewski home went relatively well. They attended high school and attended teenage social functions with the Banaszewski children, as well as church with Gertrude herself on Sunday. It wasn't until Lester's $20 payment failed to arrive that things began to go downhill quickly. Gertrude threw a tantrum, as reported by Sylvia's younger sister, Jenny. She began screaming at the girls, I took care of you two bitches for nothing, before forcing them to lie across her bed with their skirts and underwear around their ankles while she beat their butt. Though the timeline is slightly off due to reported events, shortly thereafter, Lester and Betty Likens came into town to check on the girls. However, neither of them made any reference to the beatings. Of course, the following week, Jenny stated that she and Sylvia went through the neighborhood garbage, collecting old Coca-Cola bottles to sell in order to get money for candy. When they came home with the candy and spare change, Gertrude accused them of stealing. When Sylvia explained how she had gotten the candy, Gertrude accused her of lying and made her bend over the bed while she beat her across, across her butt with a paddle again. In the coming weeks, it has been reported that the Banaszewski children came to Gertrude after church and told her that they were disgusted with the amount of food that they had seen Sylvia eating at the social. Gertrude told Sylvia that she was angry and she was angry that she would do something to ruin her physical appearance. And from the recounts of Jenny, Sylvia was then forced to eat a hot dog piled with condiments. When Sylvia vomited from the force feeding, Gertrude forced her to scoop up the vomit and devour it. Once again, in the coming weeks after, Lester and Betty Likens came into town again to check on the girls. And per Gertrude's instructions, Sylvia made no reference to the vomit-eating incident. The incident, which appears to have either precipitated, triggered, or coincided with the sharp decline of Gertrude's mental stability, occurred in August of 1965, just one month after agreeing to board the girls. When she overheard Sylvia remark that she had once allowed a boy to feel her up, 
Gertrude inexplicably burst into a fit of obscenities, accusing Sylvia of being a prostitute, and then informed the rest of the house that Sylvia was pregnant because she had let a boy touch her vagina. Gertrude then attacked Sylvia, repeatedly kicking her in the crotch. According to Jenny, when Sylvia attempted to sit down afterwards, Paula, Gertrude's eldest, threw her out of the chair and informed her, you ain't fit to sit in chairs. From there on, Gertrude only allowed Sylvia to sit in a chair with permission, and around this time also began allowing her older children to use Sylvia as a plaything, with the games ranging from beatings to being pushed down the stairs. Many have theorized that Gertrude's hard life and current living conditions resulted in the mental break. Still others have theorized that the violence against the Lycans was an extreme form of personal domestic abuse, in which Gertrude directed her rage onto Sylvia. Whatever the case, this manifested rage by justifying her attacks on the Lycans accusing her of being a prostitute and delivering bizarre sermons to her children and Sylvia about the filthiness of prostitutes and women in general were completely out of line. The day after Gertrude kicked Sylvia in the crotch, according to Jenny, as an act of vengeance, Sylvia and Jenny told their classmates that they had seen Paula and Stephanie, Gertrude's second eldest daughter, having sex with boys in exchange for money. <laughs> kind of a good revenge, if you ask me. I mean, when you have nothing I mean, else but your But it also words, sounds just so childish, because it's, it's, they're basically parroting exactly what Gertrude said. I, I doubt they even really knew what a prostitute was. I don't think because, so. Because, like, they probably, like, picked up on it that, like, when she was screaming and raving at them. And so if they start telling people, you know, like, they're not using the same word, but they're describing the same thing. So Somebody it's, bad. You know, something bad. Something bad, yeah. Like, the worst thing that, that, to this point, they had ever heard, you know, because this woman is freaking out about it, so in order to get revenge. Like, it, I don't know. Like, I, I get it, but just, it, it's also ch so childish at the same time, which is more sad it goes to show. It goes to show how just kind so... of precious these girls were and how they just... Exactly. And how they were just so exactly. innocent. And literally, that's a really good point, Lainey. That's a really good point. You know, I never, in the two times that we've talked about this... I've never actually put that together a bit. I mean, I understood why they were doing what they were doing, but I never thought of it as necessarily a defense mechanism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. It's very good. Where it's, well, uh, it breaks my heart. Within this time, Gertrude was able to connect with Sylvia's best friend, a 13-year-old named Anna Sisko, long enough to convince her that Sylvia had been telling boys at the school that Anna's mother was a whore. When Gertrude took Anna to see Sylvia, she directed Anna to take her aggression and fury on out on her best friend. Soon after, Gertrude told one of Paula's friends, a girl named Judy Duke, that Sylvia had been spreading rumors about her mother as well, and pitted the girls against each other in a fistfight within the home. During the fight, Gertrude even instructed Jenny to punch Sylvia. When Jenny refused, Gertrude began to strike Jenny in the face repeatedly until Jenny finally agreed to punch Sylvia. In August of 1965, one month after the girls began their boarding in the home, the
The vacant house next door to the Banaszewski residence was purchased by a middle-aged couple named Phyllis and Raymond Vermillion. One of my favorite colors to dye with, I tell you. Vermillion? Yeah, it's such a pretty color. Yeah. <clears throat> Phyllis, seeing the number of children Gertrude cared for, believed that her neighbor would make a perfect babysitter for her two young children, and that she would also be helping the family out by paying her for the services. What could go wrong? Hmm. Hmm. Nothing. The Vermilions arranged a backyard barbecue so that the two families could get to know one another. During the barbecue, Phyllis noticed Sylvia wandering around the yard with a pronounced black eye. Paula proudly announced to Phyllis in conversation that she was the one that had given it to her. Then, under Gertrude's supervision, Paula approached Sylvia with a glass of steaming water and threw it in Sylvia's face. Jenny reported these events in court, and it was found that neither of the Vermilions reported this incident to authorities. Mm. Two months later, in October, yeah. Phyllis went to the Banaszewski home to borrow something. Over the course of the time she was there, she noticed Sylvia wandering around in a daze, with swollen lips and a black eye, significant enough that it had swollen shut. Phyllis is said to have mentioned this to Paula who in return took her belt off and began to beat Sylvia with it in front of Phyllis, stating that this was how they had to discipline her. Phyllis again neglected to report anything to the authorities, as she didn't want to get involved in business that wasn't hers. Always. You hear that all the time. It's not my don't business. Don't get involved in family business. That's not our business, honey. We're going to stay out of that. That's We don't need to get involved. Yeah. We don't need to get involved. Bitch, get involved. Get involved. Don't wait until the neighbor kid runs over to your house saying that, you know, their their parents chasing yeah. him out of the house with a shotgun. Yeah. Notice like, notice the screaming you know, beforehand. The family that we that we also covered. For real, Two children bro. children running away. For it took real. the It took the father of the woman that the kids ran to, like the neighbors. The neighbors themselves didn't even contact the police it was her father after hearing the story couldn't live with it so like thank goodness for him i mean it didn't help in the end obviously but still like obviously you gotta keep you gotta do it keep you on keeping on man keep when on. you see something say something see something say something see something now, there's something in that right like make a beat out of it guys i mean <laughs> one, one could one could only Ew. hope that everybody forgets that. <laughs> In the coming weeks after Phyllis Vermilion witnessed Paula beat Sylvia, Sylvia came home from school and told Gertrude that she needed a sweatsuit for gym class. When Gertrude told Sylvia that they could not afford one, Sylvia resorted to stealing one from the school. When questioned after obtaining her new sweatsuit and bringing it home, Gertrude was able to coerce a confession out of her. This inexplicably segued from the topic of Silva Sylvia stealing into the topic of Sylvia being a prostitute, resulting in Sylvia being thrown onto the ground, where she was repeatedly kicked again in the crotch, once more before returning to the topic of theft. As a result to, quote, cure Sylvia of her sticky fingers, Gertrude burned the tips of each of her fingers with a lit cigarette. Afterwards, she made Sylvia bend over while she whipped her with a belt. 
After this incident, the smokers in the Banaszewski home began arbitrarily putting their cigarettes out on Sylvia's body as a reminder for her to not steal. Oh. <clears throat> this is your third trigger warning at this point, where the story is going to take a really dark turn, even though it's been dark all along. But regardless, it's where it gets particularly sad. After the incident, on an undisclosed date, Sylvia went out again to sell old soda bottles for money. When she returned home, and it was discovered that she had spare money, Gertrude accused her of prostitution, then took her into the living room of the home and forced Sylvia to strip naked in front of her sons and other neighborhood boys on the threat of beating her younger sister, Jenny. Once Sylvia was fully naked, Gertrude handed her a glass Coca-Cola bottle and forced her to masturbate with it. Yeah, remember when I said you guys wouldn't like me for drinking Coca-Cola? This, this might be why. This bitch, though. Am I right? This <laughs> bitch, though. She had the audacity, but, you know, this, this is what I'm it's here for. It's all that came to mind. She was thirsty. That, and it's a way to just, you know, just it's an easy mixer to just... It for real it. is an easy mixer with any beverage. But following the Coke yeah, bottle incident, Sylvia became incontinent. As a result, it was decided that she was no longer fit to live with humans and was locked in the basement. The lack of a toilet in the basement forced Sylvia to go to the bathroom on the floor. And when Gertrude saw this, she began a bathing regime to cleanse Sylvia for whom she began calling a dirty girl. The regime consisted of filling the claw-footed tub with scalding hot water, binding Sylvia's wrists and ankles, and then dunking Sylvia into it. The regime was administered arbitrarily, sometimes once or many times a day, sometimes not at all. Following the baths, the oldest, Jenny, reported Paula would rub handfuls of salt over Sylvia's nude body. My, punctu oh. my punctuation held me up on that one. I apologize. But sad. During the specific oh. period of abuse, Gertrude took on 14-year-old Ricky Hobbs, a neighborhood boy, as her personal assistant when dealing specifically with Sylvia. Hobbs was an honor student from a middle-class family with no previous legal trouble. His family reported that he experienced a sudden shift in personality upon spending more time with the Banaszewskis. But it was later discovered by authorities that he would blindly follow whatever Gertrude would tell him to do. Crime reporters speculated, mind you, speculated, that Hobbs was her lover and that she had seduced the boy into becoming her henchman, but these reports were never validated. Honestly, if you look at the pictures that we're going to post along with this episode on Instagram uh, and on our website, which is going live uh, this this week, um, you're going to notice this weird, awkward, disgusting chemistry between this really sad-looking woman and this oddly, particularly like devilishly handsome, more oh, he's good, more looking. attractive Dahmer. Oh, he is more straight up. Good it's, it's a bit confusing to me. I mean, he's a terrible person, but like, uh, it's weird. It is weird. Uh, we never talked about this. We never talked this about this woman. But you, you find him good looking? Oh my gosh, yes. Isn't that bizarre? Not, not the, not the son. 
Not no, you're talking about Hobbs. Hobbs. Yes. Yeah. The guy with the he glasses. Is, I think the guy he's with the looking. glasses. Yeah. For the no, you know, for the sixties. For this, he definitely is. He ain't got all weird looking in the face like like two British royals yeah. having babies. Like it ain't weird. It ain't that yeah, weird. Yeah, there's none of that. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I I don't know. It is very odd. This weird spell that she's able to put over multiple children that are from various different backgrounds. It just seems like people are drawn to this. Scenario. Well, maybe people are like just children, drawn other to kids aggression. Are just drawn. Maybe yeah, they're exactly. just drawn. It's, it's she she there. she brings the troubled kids in, and they can beat on this poor girl. And they're but it's not like Hobbs was a troubled kid. No, he wasn't. It, that was the point. At all. He wasn't at all. He that you are absolutely spot on with that. I suppose out of the, the, out, of the out of the collection that's come from this investigation. He is the one that it just kind of seemed real fucking weird. It is very weird. It's just, it's like how, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what she did. I don't necessarily subscribe to the thought that um, she was sleeping with him. Or, you know, because there were multiple other kids in the community that would become a part of the abuse later. And that, they... She couldn't have been sleeping with all of them. No, I don't think, and I don't think she was. a natural, I don't, I don't. Well, here's the thing, is that. There's just a natural attraction that she's able to provide. I don't don't know, I still don't know if I would classify it in the sense of, like, seducing. Because there still is no, there was never any proof that they were together intimately. And so. That's what I said. I don't believe that in any way. I just mean there's something about her personality that is seducing, not sexually. Well, think about the situations where, like where, where creepy pedophiles, where creepy pedophiles all hang out together. Once you find somebody that gives you what you need, you tend to like, feast like cockroaches when children angry children who who are prone to like a loving violence we've gone over we've gone over child murderers you know children who are just like disgustingly attracted to just murder and just just yeah just in just aggressive action so like in this case she just kind of fed fed the 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 whole yeah i feel like you are your most animalistic when you are young especially you're like uh, pivotal like you know um years of like go- going through puberty specifically that you are just primal at that point you are nothing but well, yeah hormones the fucking hormones are shooting like, through you like goddamn fucking like like wolverine you don't claws, know which way's man. up everything's weird you make like zero correct choices <laughs> right life just went ahead and cream pied you bro Life just went yeah. ahead and, and not in the fun you. way. No, well, this is never. Not is it always? Oh, is it fun? Is it fun? I, well, cream well pies? it is pretty fun. Everybody, <laughs> look up Asian cream pies. Dennis. Or don't. No, no. Like uh, always sunny. Always sunny. Reference. I. I don't know if y'all <laughs> y'all got my Danny DeVito impression. It was probably terrible enough that you didn't. <clears throat> Anyways. <laughs> I love that show, and I I didn't even catch on at first. That's so. when that's when they were like they send D over to the fish the fish place to investigate, but they were just trying to distract her because they were trying to find out Dennis's search history, and they just kept finding cream pies, yep. Asian cream pies, and yeah, <laughs> Charlie. Oh, that's what you were looking at. The whole time. <laughs> I fucking love that show so much. Yeah. Within weeks of Hobbs joining the family's abuse of Sylvia, the Banaszewski children turned Sylvia into a money-making opportunity. 
charging neighborhood children a nickel to gawk at her nude or push her down the stairs to the basement, where she was now kept when not being bathed or put on display. She was kept constantly naked and rarely fed. When she was allowed to eat, they would still find ways of humiliating her, such as the instance in which the Banaszewski children insisted that she eat with her she eat soup with her fingers, and as stated by Jenny in the courtroom, was an absolutely devastating experience to witness. Often, Gertrude and her 12-year-old son, John Jr., the only child that she had with John, would make Sylvia clean the basement by allowing her to eat her own feces, and gave Sylvia a container in which she would collect her urine, which she was then made to drink on occasion. There were brief glimmers of hope when more and more people were becoming aware of the odd situation that seemed to be happening around the family's property and how often people were coming and going from the home. A small bit of hope that somebody would stop the abuse, that somebody would see something and tell someone. Jenny managed to send contact to her and Sylvia's older sister, Diana, who at the time was married and had a family of her own. Jenny outlined the horrors that she and Sylvia were experiencing, and then instructed Diana to get the police to come and rescue them. Diana admitted to ignoring the letter, believing that Jenny was simply displeased with the discipline that she was receiving for her bad behavior, and she was making up stories so that she could just come and live with her. It has even been reported that one of the neighborhood children who had been by to see the Banaszewski children, a 12-year-old named Judy Duke, went home and told her mother that they were beating and kicking Sylvia. The girl's mother told her that that's just what happens when somebody is being punished. It's the old spoon. I've seen seen one of my friends, yes, smacked to shit with a wooden spoon, and I thought it was quite normal. I really did. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. Seen seen some shit but I never thought it was normal ugh awful Roy Julian visited the Banaszewski household as a part of a program he had set up for each of his parishioners at their homes while he and Gertrude drank coffee she complained to him that Sylvia had been an intense burden on her claiming that the girl was a prostitute who had been servicing married men and had gotten pregnant Although at the time, Paula was several months pregnant, Gertrude insisted that her oldest daughter was still a virgin and that Sylvia was attempting to pass off her own misdeeds onto the pure Paula. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Gertrude and Reverend Roy Julian prayed for Sylvia's salvation before he left for another home visit, all without physically seeing Sylvia herself. Yeah, why would you need to? Why would you need to? Because you can just trust people. When the reverend returned a few weeks later, Paula told the reverend during prayers that she had a hatred in her heart for Sylvia, to which Gertrude interjected to state that wasn't true and steered the conversation completely away from Sylvia. Eventually, Diana came to visit her sisters. Gertrude refused to allow her into the home, however, at first telling her that Lester, 
the Lycan's girl's father, had contacted her and instructed her to not allow Diana to see the girls. When Diana questioned this, Gertrude threatened to call the police and have her arrested for trespassing. Diana then hid in a nearby house until she spotted Jenny outside. She then approached her. Jenny told her older sister that she was not allowed to talk to her and then quickly ran away. Diana, now concerned, contacted social services. When a social worker arrived at the home, Gertrude informed her that she had kicked Sylvia out of the house for being physically unclean and prostituting herself, and that Sylvia had since run away and not kept in contact with anyone. Gertrude then managed to get Jenny alone long enough to inform her that if she told the social worker the truth, Jenny would join her sister in the basement. Jenny then told the social worker that Sylvia had indeed run away. The social worker then returned to her office, where she filed a report stating that no more calls needed to be made to the Banaszewski home. This was all within two and a half months of the girls moving into the home. Two and a half months. The escalation is absolutely insane. Especially since there's no evidence that she was violent towards her children before this point. That this was just I mean, well, these weren't her children. In her brain, these, weren't, these were these girls weren't her children. Yeah, but still, like to all of a sudden, it's not like she went searching for these kids either. You know, like it's not like she went searching for victims or right. anything like you see often with people. It's who... the classic caregiver caregiver gone bad it syndrome, is. like the people who adopt foster <laughs> children and go fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. It's fucking nuts, but they're, yeah. It's nuts. It's fucking peanuts, bro. It's fucking peanuts. <laughs> peanuts. Oh. On October 20th, Gertrude called the police to come arrest a boy at her home. Robert Bruce Hanlon was a, yo- a yokel youth. <laughs> <laughs> a local youth who claimed that he, that the Banaszewski children had stolen things from his basement. He had come to the home earlier in the evening, demanding that they return his things. When refused, he attempted to sneak into the home to take them back himself. Phyllis Vermillion witnessed Hanlon being put into the back of a squad car and approached the police to speak on his behalf. She had said earlier that she had overheard in an argument between Gertrude and Hanlon over the stolen goods, but made no mention of Sylvia during her conversation with the police. On October 21st, Gertrude instructed John Jr., Coy, and Stephanie to bring Sylvia up from the basement and tie her to a bed, telling Sylvia that if she could hold her bladder through the night, she would be permitted to sleep upstairs again. On October 22nd, when checked on in the morning, it was discovered that she had wet the bed. Gertrude made her dress, then took her to the living area where she was once again forced to perform a strip tease for her sons and the boys present in the home from the neighborhood. It was during this event that she was again made to use a Coke bottle in such a way that would cause and later be described as severe internal damage. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, it was in poor taste, but 
Uh, yeah. No, I mean I get are. it though. I so get much it though. I can do about it now. You're just being honest <laughs> about your chaser, bro. After she was allowed to dress, Gertrude brought up Sylvia's lies about Paula and Stephanie and declared, "You have branded my daughters, so I will brand you." She then forcibly stripped Sylvia naked, tied down, and gagged, while one of the children heated a sewing needle with a series of matches. When the needle was orange, Gertrude used it to carve and burn the letter I, and a part of the letter M, into Sylvia's stomach. She then instructed Ricky Hobbs to continue carving letters to spell out the phrase, I'm a prostitute and I'm proud of it. I apologize. There's no I'm. At one point, Hobbs stopped and asked Gertrude in a confused manner how to spell prostitute. Banaszewski wrote it down on a piece of paper and the carving recommenced. When the process was finished, the tattoo branding consisting not only of actual carving, but third degree burns left behind by the heat of the needle all while her sister Jenny was made to watch. Satisfied. So this is, Oh, please stop me. Sorry. Yeah. So this is uh, something that I brought up before, but the abuse not happening to her sister is in itself another form of it's abuse. fucking insane by putting the two girls the two sisters who are only a year if not less than a year apart in age one's four, 15 and one's 16 and the fact that one is receiving all of that horrific abuse while the other has to watch is awful it, it, it makes that Jenny's the younger one, Correct. right? Yeah, so it just makes Jenny permanently scarred from seeing all of this. It's all so sudden. She's got polio. It's all exactly. And it's happening fast. Exactly. She there's she can't defend herself, let alone her sister, and it, she's not able to stop it. She's not able to help. That kind of horrific trauma is going to affect her for the rest of her life. It is it is just as damaging. It's obviously not as physically as painful, but it is horrifically damaging. She's still to both. she's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I mean, as as fucked up as it is, if they were both being abused, they would be in it together. The sense of camaraderie and solidarity. You know, they would have exactly, yeah, that you would have it's not much but it's something. They were technically still it's, in it together because you know that there's always more to the story than what's, what's on she the was, surface. Yeah, but she was also locked in the basement. Well, so she well, didn't have much. Like we talk about in a minute, you know, some moments that, that it have, have at least been confessed. Uh, but yeah. there must have been more. You know, this the a lot of the information that I've been able to gather has been from a collection of authors and courtroom documents and news articles. And so, unless you dive deep into the court documents and maybe read absolute personal testimonials, a lot of these are the testimonials themselves, but then there's always, like, that fraction of, like, these are real people with real experiences with these other people, and you know that there's always more. If, if you and I, if something, like, if we go through something very tragic together, I'm going to tell what the important information, but the small moments... Yeah, about 15%, about 15% of what 
everything actually. And, but was. but the small yeah. moments that we are fi- that we are that we would be able to share with each other that's not a part of the the, the evidence. Why would I share that with anybody else but whatever but, but myself? Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that there's a lot that Jenny has not that I don't have, and I I feel that in this kind of situation that Jenny must have been able to see her sister must have gone down a little bit more often, but that when she told the occasions of her seeing her sister, she did that because those were pivotal, pivotal moments right before her death, Mm. you know, like what was important in those last few days. Um, but before then, I'm sure she had once again, three months. I mean, like three months fast. It is three months, bro. Three months, three months, three months. Yeah, it's rough. It's rough. So after the initial branding of I am a prostitute and proud of it, Gertrude was satisfied and left the room, leaving Sylvia tied, gagged, and naked. Ricky, Paula, and then 10-year-old Shirley described an incident where they gave Sylvia another tattoo, an S in the middle of her chest. Ricky burned the bottom curve of the S into Sylvia. He then either choked or changed his mind because then he ordered Jenny to come over and carve the top half. Although threatened, Jenny refused. Ricky relented and ordered Shirley, the 10-year-old, to finish the tattoo, who then accidentally carved the curve backwards so that the numeral three appeared on her chest. Upon re-entering the room at this point to address the still-bound and gag Sylvia, Gertrude asked, What are you going to do now, Sylvia? You can't get married now. You can't undress in front of anyone. What are you going to do now? Sylvia was ungagged and allowed to reply, I guess there's nothing I can do. It's on there. Hubbard Mm. then took Sylvia back into the basement, where he used her for judo practice for a period before returning home. In the middle of the night, Jenny snuck into the basement to visit her sister where Jenny recalled Sylvia telling her, I'm going to die. I can tell. Shortly after Jenny's visit on the overnight, Gertrude inexplicably went into the basement and brought Sylvia upstairs and allowed her to sleep in one of the beds. She was allowed to keep... Sorry. She was allowed to sleep until noon of the next day. October 23rd, when Gertrude woke her, She and Stephanie took her into the bathroom and gave her a warm and soapy bath. After the bath, Gertrude and Paula dressed Sylvia and then dictated a letter to her and intended to look like a runaway letter to her parents. For reasons unknown, Gertrude dictated that Sylvia open the letter. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Likens, The words which were dictated are as followed. I went with a gang of boys in the middle of the night, and they said that they would pay me if I would give them something. So I got in the car, and they all got what they wanted. And when they got finished, they beat me up and left sores on my face and all over my body. And then they put on my stomach, I am a prostitute and proud of it. I have done just about everything that I could do to make Gertie mad and cost Gertie more money than she's got. I've tore up a new mattress and peed on it. I have also cost Gertie doctor bills 
that she really can't pay and made Gertie a nervous wreck and all her kids. Just as strangely as Gertrude's insistence on the formal salutation, she instructed Sylvia not to sign it. After Sylvia finished the letter, Gertrude began formulating a plan to have John Jr. and Jenny take Sylvia to a nearby garbage dump and leave her there to die. When Sylvia overheard this, she ran for the front door, but in her emaciated and mutilated state moved so slowly that she was able to be grabbed, and just as she reached the front door, they dragged her back into the house. Once Gertrude settled Sylvia down, she took her into the kitchen and made her some toast. Sylvia attempted to eat it, but then said she couldn't swallow. It was at this time Gertrude took down the curtain rod and beat Sylvia in the mouth with it. John then took Sylvia into the basement and tied her up while a plate of crackers was prepared for Sylvia. When she offered the crackers, I hate it, I hate it so much. When she offered the crackers to Sylvia, Sylvia replied, feed it to the dog. It's hungrier than I am. And then she was repeatedly punched in the stomach before being left in the basement all alone. On the next day, October 24th, Gertrude came into the basement and attempted to bludgeon Sylvia. First, she tried to hit her with a chair, but then she missed and broke it against a wall. Next, she tried to beat her over the head with a paddle, but it swung in such a wide arc that it came back against her own face, blackening her eye. That's the only justification and happiness I am taking away from this. Bitch broke her own fucking face. I gotta own, like, fuck her, fuck her, broke her fucking face. But also, that's the only justification. That's fucking it. So to stop the strange so, show. For, chew on that for Yeah, a while. you know what? Let's, let's hold on. In the back of your mouth and chew on it for a while. Bitch got bludgeoned in the face. swallowing, because that's all you got. Yeah, thinking about it. It's like a good whiskey. You know, you got to swirl it around for a long should've time. Saved the, I should have saved the Jameson for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now imagine what you're seeing. Imagine a fucking woman like this just a rickety old ass fucking swamp witch herself just berserker mode but like completely off balance and just completely gone that she can't even make correct you know accurate hits and so so imagine the scene you have this poor sad little girl and you have this just sickly looking woman trying to beat her and so imagine the scene and you have a hubbard Okay, the Hubbard, the glasses Hubbard, step in and beat Sylvia unconscious with a broomstick. And over the course of that night and into the morning hours of October 25th, Sylvia beat the basement floor with a scoop portion of an iron shovel. Next door neighbors would later report considering calling the police, but fucking yet again fucking chose not to. It is hard not to hate everything and everyone. On October 26th, Gertrude voiced her intentions to give Sylvia a warm bath. Stephanie and Ricky brought Sylvia upstairs and laid her in the tub fully clothed. They took her out shortly after, and it was then that they realized that she was not breathing. Stephanie gave Sylvia CPR. What a fucking saint. But by this time, Sylvia was already dead. It is not known if Sylvia had died prior to being put in the tub 
or not. Gertrude instructed her children to take Sylvia's body to the basement and strip it naked. Then she told Hobbs to go to a nearby payphone and call the police. As the home itself had no working phone, I apologize. Hubbard is Stephanie's boyfriend's is Stephanie's boyfriend's last name. Um, Hobbs is glasses. Mm-hmm. When the police arrived, Gertrude gave them a letter she had made Sylvia dictate. In the midst of the commotion, Jenny whispered to one of the police, Get me out of here and I will tell you everything. This statement, combined with the police's discovery of Sylvia's body in the basement, prompted the officers to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, John, Hobbs, and Hubbard for murder. Other neighborhood children present at the time, Mike Monroe, Randy Lepper, Duke, and Cisco were arrested for injury to a person. That's one motherfucking two, motherfucking three, motherfucking four. One. That's like 13 fucking people. I'm speechless. Yeah, process, 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 because we're about to talk about the trial. Dead 16-year-old and a house full of children. It is unsettling. It's it's definitely slightly unsettling. (laughs) Gertrude, her children, Hobbs, and Hubbard were held without bail pending their trials. Charges against Cisco, Duke, Monroe, and Leper, however, were all dismissed. Stephanie's lawyer got her a separate trial. That's the second eldest daughter. Before it was able to begin, and the district attorney dropped the murder charges against her. Meanwhile, an autopsy of Sylvia Likens turned up over a hundred cigarette burns on her body. In addition to various second and third degree burns, severe bruising, and muscle and nerve damage. In her death throes, Sylvia bit through her lips, nearly severing each of them. Her vaginal cavity was swollen nearly shut, although an examination of the canal determined that her hymen was still fucking intact. Motherfucking assholes! Accusing her of being a prostitute. Hymen intact. I hate it. I hate it all. I hate all this story. I hate it all. It's so sad. Largely discrediting, with a lack of any ripping and tearing to the rectum, Gertrude's assertion that Sylvia was a goddamn prostitute and completely disproving her insistence that she was fucking pregnant. Goddamn, goddamn fucking bitch. I just want to choke her out. The official cause of death was brain swelling, internal hemorrhaging, and brain internal hemorrhaging of the brain and shock. Oh, this poor girl, the suffering. Oh, this poor girl, the suffering. Yeah, dude, it is unbelievably horrific. The case of the state of Indiana versus Gertrude Banaszewski, John Banaszewski, Paula Banaszewski, Ricky Hobbs, and Coy Hubbard commenced in May of 1966, seven months after Sylvia's death. 10 months after assuming care of her. The prosecution sought the death penalty for all involved, including John and Hobbs, who were 13 and 14 at the time. Paula's time in court was interrupted when she was, what? Rushed to the hospital to give birth to the fucking child that apparently didn't exist in fucking side her. 
just blaming everything that her own daughter has done on this other child for no reason. Oh, you can't even. You can't even. Are you ready for this? In a show of fucking solidarity, she named the child, I'm sorry, what? Gertrude. I love my mother so much. This goddamn bitch. This goddamn bitch. Gertrude and the children's cases were exacerbated by the fact that they were being represented by four different attorneys. One for Gertrude, one for Paula, and one for Hobbs, and one for Coy and John, all of whom worked against each other and attempted to shift blame against the other defendants, even though they were all being tried together. Even Gertrude's attorney attempted to shift the blame onto the children, portraying her as weak, chronically ill, and incapable of preventing or perpetrating any of the abuse. Some of the most damaging testimony against Gertrude was due to her own self-incrimination. She recounted bizarre tales of Sylvia being a neighborhood prostitute and of her trysts with middle-aged men and married men, as well as accusing her of frequently starting fights in the home. To corroborate this testimony, 11-year-old Marie, at that time, this is the 10-year-old Marie who carved the letter S into this girl's chest, was called to the stand. Initially, Marie backed up everything her mother had said, until, during cross-examination, she suddenly screamed, God help me, before admitting everything she said was a lie, and went on to recount in graphic, blunt detail how her mother and siblings had tortured and murdered Sylvia. The young girl's shocking turn against her own family was largely responsible for the eventual verdict. Gertrude was found guilty of murder in the first degree. To the shock of the citizens of Indianapolis, she did not receive the death penalty, but rather life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. But hear me out. The end of the story isn't so goddamn blessful. You know, we're not all blessed here. Paula Banaszewski was convicted of second-degree murder. She appealed and was granted a new trial, but before it began, she struck a plea bargain and pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. She served three years in prison and was then paroled. John Banaszewski, Hubbard, and Hobbs were each convicted of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to 18 months in juvenile detention. By the time the now 17-year-old Hobbs was released, the severity of his crimes had sunk in. He suffered a nervous breakdown, and he began a regime of heavy chain smoking, which he had severely, which had severely decayed one of his lungs, and by the time he was 20, he was dead of lung cancer. Gertrude, 20, sorry, 21, actually, my apologies, 20, diagnosed at 20, dead by 21, died of lung cancer, good, like you have to, but also, but yeah, no, you have, you have a good point, you have to be smoking a fuck ton, just all the time, you're like packs on packs on packs on packs, bro, packs on packs, packs, on packs, on packs, on packs, on packs. But he was 14 when it happened. He was 21 when he died. Yeah, that guilt also has got to be a, a huge part of yeah. it. I mean, like, you got to live with that shit. Yeah. That's, that sinks. That'll kill you. Sorry, everybody. But to be honest with you, I just witnessed my dog chewing on a ball of yarn and I almost lost my shit and I almost dumped the chair all at the same time to keep her from chewing on that ball of yarn. Stop it. Winnie. I can't right now with her. Winnie. 
She's eating everything important in my life. <sighs> I apologize. I apologize, guys. Should have named her Audrey, too. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> Gertrude appealed, and she was granted a new trial, and was again found guilty, though this time she was sentenced to 18 years to life. Over the course of the next 18 years, she became a model prisoner, working in the sewing shop and becoming a den mother to younger female inmates. 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 And by the time she came up for parole, in 1985, she had earned the prison nickname Mom. <laughs> However, <laughs> the news of Gertrude's parole hearing sent shockwaves through the Indiana community. Jenny Likens and her family. I can't. I can't. Appeared on television to speak out against Gertrude and the family. The members of two anti-crime groups protect the innocent and society's league against molestation. I'm laughing too hard for the content. I went from Australian to Irish way too quick. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, that was good. Oh. Oh my God. Oh. Gertrude appealed, was granted a new <laughs> This is what bloopers are about. This is what Patreon's about right here. <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> the Patreon. I didn't know I was speaking with the queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I pissed myself. God. Oh. Oh. Oh my God. I can't breathe. Oh, I can't breathe. you doing <laughs> I have so much I haven't laughed that hard <laughs> in a very very long time I have like literally since seven like I have like two paragraphs left 
<laughs> I pissed myself. I pissed oh. myself. That's how we know that it's a good show. You literally pissed yourself laughing. And then now we can add this as a bit to the Patreon. To the Patreon. <laughs> I mean, how do you know you're saying it right? I don't think that's fair. <laughs> because literally everybody else says it the other way. I mean, like, we could just, everybody else could be wrong. You're right. Oh, Thank God. you. Thank you. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> I have been trying to keep track of the times, so no, I I think no, I've done I, a good I just job. I just said that I've I have a long night ahead of me. Well, I have about thirty minutes ahead of me. Oh, it's a soap opera over here. <laughs> oh God, okay. dude! Thank you, just thank you for, for everything. I just, I, no! I pissed myself. No! It's it was upset. I'm upset. I had to wipe the seat. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I have pissed myself before, so don't think like you're alone or anything like this. Is, oh, I, I, oh, I thought of solidarity. I've, I've, you know me very well. I, um, I have no shame when it comes to the pissing myself stories. So, I'm sure this will come out years from now. Might be this story. All right, where did I leave off? I, all right, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay, where? Hold on, I gotta pull up. <clears throat> All right, start at <coughs> 127. 45. All right, go. Gertrude appealed, was granted a new trial, and was again found guilty. Though this time, she was sentenced to 18 years to life. Over the course of the next 18 years, she became a model prisoner, working in the sewing shop and becoming a dead mother to younger female inmates. By the time she came up for parole in 1985, she had earned the prison nickname Mom. Fucking getting that shit on your sleeve. And by sleeve, I mean your, your flesh, your skin. <laughs> However, the news of Gertrude's parole hearing sent shockwaves through Indiana's community. Jenny Likens and her family appeared on television to speak out against Gertrude and the family. The family... The members of two anti-crime groups, groups, goodness, Protect the Innocent and Society's League Against Molestation traveled to Indiana to oppose the parole and support the Likens family, beginning a sidewalk picket campaign. Over the course of two months, the group collected 4,500 signatures from citizens of Indiana demanding that Gertrude be kept behind bars. In spite of all this, she was granted parole. During the hearing, she was she during the hearing she gave the following confession. I'm not sure what role I had in it because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. That's it. That's it. I never really knew her. But sure called her a prostitute. 
abused the fuck out of her. Gertrude walked out of prison on December 4th, 1985, and traveled to Iowa under the name Nadine Van Fossen, where she died there of lung cancer in 1990. The fates of the Banaszewski children remain largely unknown. Paula moved to Iowa and assumed a new identity. Internet rumors claim that she is still alive and well on a farm somewhere in Iowa countryside. Stephanie became a school teacher and assumed a new name. John changed his name to John Blake and worked as a truck driver be before becoming a real estate agent and lay minister, a term used for ministers of faith in Christian denominations who were not ordained in their faith tradition. He was never arrested again. He married and had three children and has lived in anonymity, only surfacing briefly in 1998 in the wake of the Jonesboro Massacre to speak for the first time about the Lycan's murder, saying that he took full responsibility for his role in the murder and that a harsher sentence should have been more just. Yeah, to say the least. Well, that's it. I do want to say, though, that it's it's worth reading about... It's worth reading yourself. We're going to contain links to everything that I use as a reference for this article in our description. And I think it's absolutely worth getting to know a little bit more about the story, even though it definitely has been laid out in detail as best as possible. But I can reassure you that some of these people are alive and well and amongst us today. Yep. And hello. Sure are. And I mean, it's not like this is... I mean, the specifics may be isolated, but abuse happens all the time, everywhere, constantly. So be vigilant. And if you suspect something, or I don't know, if somebody beats a child in front of your eyes... Maybe throws a little bit of scalding hot water, you know? Yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know, just say something. Say something, say, say like something. anything to anyone once, not after... The death, too. Uh, preferably before. And pre prevent it. Oh. oh, yeah. So, three times. Third time's a charm, huh? Uh, three times a lady. I don't know if, that how, if that's how it goes, but... I don't know either. So, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to make a quick announcement before we uh, head on out for the evening. Head on out. Um, we are debuting our website this week. It is going to be www.catandlaney.com. We're probably going to snag the Contagious Curiosity pod while we're at it, because, you know, just in case. But just in regardless, case. Um, we're going to be putting our website live this week. Um, as always, thank you for tuning in. Um, thank you for dealing with our human nature and sometimes needing to get through the day of work before we can actually finish and get things done and put it out there. So I appreciate you allowing us yeah, to not be robots. Thank you. We are uh, doing the best we can with being adult humans with full-time jobs and everything. And I mean, I think we're doing all right. We really appreciate you being being here with us. Yeah, and if it means anything, if it means anything, I, I'm actually pretty pleased with our next coming episodes. We're going to be touching upon uh, <gasps> a little bit of amazing topics of creepy things like cryptids. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm very mm-hmm. excited. We're getting closer and closer to spooky season. I'm pretty stoked. Some oogity boogities. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure. Some I'm pretty sure for those listening great. that uh, lady's going to talk about some Jersey Devil next week. Is that what you're? Boop-boo. Is that what you're doing? Is that what you're doing? Yes. You, oh yeah. Is that a whole episode itself? Um, I'm, we can discuss. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, there is a lot. There's a lot I could talk. We'll about. We'll see what happens. I like seeing what happens. There's a lot of history in some certain founding father that actually has a lot to do with the Jersey Devil. Which is, it's pretty fascinating, and it's actually one of my favorite stories about history ever. So if you guys are interested in history at all, and you want to hear about some founding father bullying a random Quaker, then please tune in next I'm, week, because you're going to get, you're going to get in your You had me at Quaker bullying. Mm. <laughs> it's a founding father bullying a Quaker, so. Is it Benjamin Franklin? <laughs> is it Benjamin Franklin? course it's Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Benjamin. Fucking Franklin. Hanging out. Oh, oh. yeah. Excellent. All yeah. right, guys. Well, you know how to get a hold of us. You can find us on Instagram at uh, Cat and Laney, as well as Contagious Curiosity Pod at gmail.com. Eventually, we're going to consolidate. But for now, you can literally find everything that you need on Instagram. And we don't necessarily yeah. have to be on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. Just go there. Exactly. We do not have a Facebook, nor shall we. So. Nor, sh- nor shall we. Mm-hmm. Yes. I slammed my mug down. <laughs> she said in an extraordinary manner. As I lightly as place my lightly glass, glass on the table. <laughs> Regardless. All right. Yeah, we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, hit us up. Tell us how you're feeling. Tell us what you're doing. If there's anything you are interested in hearing, reach out. We love to hear from you. And we will get back to you pretty soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers. We all have teeny tiny mites living on our eyelashes.